Welcome to Soberly Ever After, the podcast that inspires you to live your own happy ever after by embracing sobriety. I'm Jenna and my co-host is Leslie and each week we'll be sharing our journeys, interviewing others, and exploring the reasons why a sober life is a better life. What's up? My name is Cody Rain and I'm supposed to be dead. If you don't know me, that's all right. I'm actually a liver failure survivor. I know what it's like to start dying. I know what it's like to be in an extreme state of depression. I know what's just phenomenally aggressive anxiety and suicidal thoughts are like. Today is three years of me with absolutely no alcohol. I am stronger, happier, healthier, more powerful, more forward thinking, more positive, more appreciative, more grateful than I've ever been in my entire life. And I'm so thankful that I get to share my sobriety and my happiness and my passions and my purpose with every single one of you. I want you all to know that you got this. And I am so, so proud of you. The audio clip you just heard is from our special guest today, Cody Rain. I found him on TikTok and he has so many videos Jenna and I found him so inspirational that we hope that he will bring something to your lives because we know that he's touched ours. I'm I'm the guy for that. Yeah. I, that. So yes, uh, when it comes to addiction, anything like that, one of the things I like to remind us all is nobody chooses an addiction. We choose survival. We are surviving something. We're either surviving the pain, the emotional wounds. We're surviving our environments, our circumstances. How we choose to survive is unique. If we're using a coping mechanism, which is called toxic mindfulness, a coping mechanism like alcohol isn't fixing anything. Think of it like this. If alcohol had the potential to fix anything, nobody would feel broken. No one would feel broken. We would just drink it. It'd be, it would act as a medicine, and then we'd move on. If it had the capable of healing anything, we'd all feel super strong. But we don't like the pain. We don't like the circumstances. We don't like the illusion of where we are. And so what we need to do is use something called toxic mindfulness, which is imbibing a substance that helps us disassociate from what's getting our attention. So if you've got a thousand thoughts going on and 90% of them, you don't like thinking, of course, you're going to be interested in a substance that's going to help you feel like either those thoughts don't matter or you're not right where you are. If we don't like where we are, then we're going to use any means of coping, whether that's a toxic relationship, whether that's sugar, food, people, places, things, alcohol, more often than not, to help us feel like we're a little bit safer, like we're less in jeopardy, like things aren't as wild as they appear. The unfortunate part about that is we're not addicted to alcohol necessarily. Physically, yes. We're addicted to the state of peace that feels like we're incapable of reaching. And so we continue to create the emotional entanglement, the love story with, I'll just have one more drink. And after that drink, I'll be where I wanna be. That's the illusion, right? And that's what alcohol is. It is the quickest illusion to peace. And once you understand that, you go, makes sense why he likes that much peace. It's because he's not where he actually is. He's in a preferred, or they are in a preferred state of being. Unfortunately, 
um, we destroy our minds and our body and our soul, our energetic force as we do that, which makes reaching peace harder. That's why we have a high tolerance. It takes more of the chase for us to reach the illusion and we destroy our bodies at the same time, which poor mental health, lower physical capabilities. Some people refine themselves in liver failure, heart failure, all of the bad stuff. Well, one of the most compassionate things that we could really kind of allow is that nobody is choosing alcohol over us. Nobody prefers alcohol over us. And everyone, given the option, will choose peace given their circumstances. Cody, what did you do for work before you got, so before you're sober, not sober? Got it. Thank you for asking. Uh, I was a celebrity DJ. So I was, yeah, I've done over 5,000 events. I was playing all up and down the California coast. Had an agency flying me out to Denver, Utah. I was up San Francisco. Rooftops, deserts, millionaires, billionaires, houses. Like I got paid in liquor. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so the, the, the person that you were referring to earlier, like I don't necessarily want to meet that guy. He was super fun. If you were that kind of person, but I was also way over the top uh, to the point where even today, someone's like, this guy won't stop moving. Dude, I got ADHD. What are you talking about? Like, I must move. Why do you think my background looks like this? It's to distract my ADHD so I could be right here with you. This is real mindfulness. But I was in the scene for so long that once again, alcohol became my personality and the personality of every other person that I was hanging out with. And that's how we all connected. Um, so I ended up with a residency for about five years in Palm Springs. Super hot. And that's where I learned that alcohol isn't hydrating. It's dehydrating. So you always want And uh, so because I drank so much out there and there, there wasn't much else to do other than party, um, that's where I developed my addiction. But I, I, I was struggling with alcoholism for years before it became like a major problem. And keep in mind, I was a high-functioning alcoholic. So I would have, like, if, if I was the old version of me, this right here, full of vodka. I would have had four or five shots just in preparation for this conversation. I would have another three or four shots in this thing to drink while we're having a conversation. I would have been planning the alcohol that I'd be drinking once we're done with the conversation. My whole life became uh, pain management. And so I couldn't think without it, couldn't operate, couldn't do anything without the personality, right? And then once again, we destroy ourselves and uh, we begin to lose every single thing we're drinking for, starting with uh, starting with our mind. Super crazy the way it works. So do you still do that line of work now? Or uh, home doing, because you did say you never leave, so you're always home. But what do you, yeah. this what you do full time now is like coaching I people? I'm a sobriety master coach and recovery specialist. I'm also the creator of two of the most powerful sobriety recovery platforms on earth. I work with uh, as an outpatient reference or referral program for those that are struggling with alcoholic behavior, addiction, um, or just habitual, um, we're going to say practices that are moving them in the less preferred direction. Uh, but aside from that, I'm a professional web designer, professional graphic designer, video editor. I'm what's people, what people will call TikTok famous. I have over half a million followers on TikTok. Released over 4,000 videos over there. 
Um, I build highly sophisticated automated websites for businesses and entrepreneurs. I'm an international best-selling author. I've been on hundreds of podcasts. So all I'm doing is continuing to share the message, continue growing, continue upgrading my background. <laughs> and uh, and I also work one-on-one with, with coaches, consultants, other entrepreneurs. And when I'm not doing that, I'm working one-on-one with anyone that's struggling with their sobriety, recovery, mental health, and I'll work with them between one and nine months. Just depends on where they are and what they're struggling with. So none of that means I have to go outside. So you do it all. Oh, did you go to college? Are you self-taught? Like, how did you do all of this? Like, you were, like, I would say sick for, like, mm-hmm. very ill. I was dead. All of this, um, yeah. <laughs> so after you died, um, you figured all of this out since then and created this, like, amazing little empire. How did you do that? Like, how you just got clean-ish, hey, right? Like, I, I'll say <laughs> This is this is that's a very big question. I love that. This is, this is why I talk so much about the difference between sobriety and recovery. I could have done the same things and just not drank alcohol after my liver failed, and I would be the same exact person that you wouldn't want anything to do with. The only difference is I wasn't drinking, or I wouldn't have been drinking. That's what sobriety is. Sobriety is taking time away from the poison. In between drinks, I'm sober. <laughs> That means there's a chance you may drink in the future. You were drinking, you're not. You're not a different person when you stop drinking. You actually go back to the version of you that prefers drinking. <laughs> yeah. This where recovery comes in, right? I laugh because it's so important. The person you see here is someone who has woken up every single day and is committed to his health, his happiness, his strength, his energy, his spirit, soul, future in an active state of design in an active state of practice. Everything I do, everything I think, everything I feel is strategic and specifically curated to be exactly who I wanna be, which was who I was chasing when I was drinking. I thought that when I was drinking that I was this guy. Yeah. I always knew that this person existed. I just thought the only way to reach him was by drinking, by removing the things that made me feel less of this person. And if everything else is gone and the only thing I could see is this, then I must be succeeding even if I feel like I'm dying. So over the last six years, in order to design a life I love to live, and more importantly, configure a world I would never sacrifice with alcohol or any substance for that matter, um, I had to get very clear on those things and I had to recover, which means putting all of my energy into becoming the person that I wish would have showed up when I was struggling. I am the version of me that I wish would have popped around the corner when I was at my weakest. It's becoming the version of you that you prefer, someone that you admire, someone that you're proud of, someone that you're excited to see, someone that you enjoy spending all of your time with. Another way of saying it is if I walked in the room right now and an an exact version of me popped in was like, hey bro, what's up? I'd be like, oh my God, what's going on? I'd be so excited to see that guy. I put in the energy, I put in the work. And so we'll say the empire has been going, what does a happy, healthy, successful person do every day? What's his first thought? What is the first thing that he does when he wakes up? What does he smell like? What does his mouth taste like? Does it taste like the cranberry juice from the night before? Did he brush his teeth? 
What does it first smell? Is it downy or is it tied on the sheets? Is there incense? Is someone cooking? Is it bacon? Like, what is it? And I had to start really getting specific with what does the ideal version of me look like, think like, feel like, do like. And I had once I got clear with that, I committed every single day, especially when it was the hardest, to do it one more time. One more time. One more sip of water. One more step. One more, one more design, right? One more recording, one more video, one more compliment, man. One more nap, okay? One more rest, one more, just go. One more time, you got this. And I continued to do that until those things that I was practicing became who I was. It's not, you're only gonna practice something so long until you're the best at it. That's why I tell people, you get good at anything you practice. So what are you practicing? Are you practicing being the version of you you don't prefer? Are you actively practicing becoming the person that you love? But we have to look specifically with these things. And so part of the expansion of my growth was going, I've been a DJ, I'm a designer, I'm an artist, I've been in sales for 20 years. How can I package my entire existence up and then start becoming successful? Because at that point I was a felon. Like I'm not even allowed into Canada because they think I'm a violent criminal. It's not true but I have a record from being sick. So I had to start going, okay, I can't get hired anywhere. Let's get into social media. Let's get into web design. Let's get into communications. And then in strategizing and getting specific and finding reasons why me as I am is good enough to be hired by anybody. I started capitalizing on my ADHD, practicing thinking, creating specific focus studying every single day, imbibing as much information as I possibly could, and then designing a mind that I enjoy thinking with. And then the last part of that is I just started applying that to the areas that were gonna get me one step further. And now I get paid to exist and help others do the same. That's incredible. Do you do other things other than working with people who have had um, drinking issues? Because you could be something for anybody like it depression or I'm listening to you and I'm like dude I needed this more than probably whoever's listening to this right now like this moment <laughs> is probably for me like you ever watch like I, I don't know if you go to church or you you're anywhere and you're listening to somebody talk and like you're nudging your person next to you like oh my god that's for me when maybe right. everybody in the room is doing that um I felt like you were just telling me that because I needed to hear all of that right now and um I, I'm just so impressed of like watching those videos and seeing you in the hospital bed and like seeing you right now and everything that you've done. Like, and it was always you. You were always right. that person. Right. And so to think like, oh, this all came about afterwards is silly to think about because you're right. It was always you. Now you're just clear minded when you're doing it and you're more, you have more intent in everything that you're choosing to do each day. Because um, how many times do I just sit on my bed and I'm going through your videos or whoever's videos? Um, I usually allow myself like five and then I have to get off because otherwise I will sit there for hours. And yours always pops up probably because I watch them or I like them or I interacted it with somehow. But um, and I am always so impressed with you. And I love the energy that you're putting out. Now, you're not for everybody. Obviously, you, you I saw a video where you had your first death threat. And, but but you are for the 70 plus million people who have liked your videos. And that is not just the people who have seen it. Those are just the people who liked it. Right. Right. We tell right. people like a video. We just don't, we don't 
pushed the heart on it, but we've right. watched the whole entire four and three minutes, whatever it is. Whatever that. that. But you had interactions of like over 70 million people. Yeah. That, that I'm like, that is incredible. Um, I do want to, I want to talk about the day that you went in the hospital and there was probably multiple days, but the day that you died, tell me about like what led up to that, that moment. And when did you decide, like, I'm just, I have to do something or this is it. There was, yeah, what you're describing is, is it's, it's considered a moment of clarity. And the interesting part is there was no moment of clarity, clarity for me because it was either you're in or you're out. And I'll get to that point in, in just a minute here. Um, the way I ended up in the hospital is, first off, to to understand the density of my addiction, I was drinking 30 shots a day. Like, it was two bottles of liquor or more. I could easily have more, but that was me going like, hey, I've got a family here and I'm trying to keep it cool. I just need to keep a level head. 30 shots of carcinogen into your veins a day will kill you, and it's designed to. Uh, but that specific day that I ended up in the hospital where my whole life shifted was um, I had had two shots in the morning, I believe, and it was probably like 9 a.m., and that was just because I was starting to shake. And then I had gone back to bed. The girls, at this point, I had my fiance and I was a stepdad to her two girls. They were eight and 10, and they had been at school, and then I think I slept most of the day. I may have gotten up and had another shot. But mom got home from work, the kids are home from school, and I'm still super duper duper tired. Just existing, nothing much happening, I had super long hair. It, it, was, it was starting to slightly turn yellow, but it wasn't too obvious. And um, what had happened was um, the girls were playing with quarters. Like for whatever reason, they had change. And they were playing with these coins, and for whatever reason, it started echoing around the room. And I started to like really flip out because this was an extremely odd feeling. And keep in mind, I, I drink for a living. So this wasn't drunk. And anyway, I was like, the whole room is starting to like bend and warp. And I was starting to feel nauseous. And uh, so I, I kept on. I was like, dude, can you guys keep it down? And it was, li there's no music. There's nothing playing. It's literally just coins. And so I got up and I was like, I got to go to the restroom. And before I made it to the restroom, I started to throw up and I ended up throwing up blood, an entire sink full of blood, mirror covered in blood, um, four stomachfuls of blood. And it turns out that two veins had opened in my throat. And while I was sleeping that day, my stomach was just being loaded with the blood jumping from my throat. I know it's graphic, but it happens to a lot of people. I talked to them. Um, this is called esophageal varices. And the interesting part about that, and I, this is one of the most pivotal moments, uh, and it's one of the peaks of my addiction, or at least my state of being at that time, was as soon as I threw up, my first thought was, I'm ready for a shot. I'm ready for alcohol. Because we solve our problems and pains, emotional or physical, with another shot. We need to numb it. When we feel good, we celebrate with a toxin. We celebrate with the poison. And when we feel bad, we punish ourselves with the same poison. And so it was at that moment that my fiance came up behind me and I'm shaking uncontrollably. And all I'm thinking about is alcohol. And she's on the phone with EMTs or ambulance or whatever. And they show up in like five minutes and then they rush me to the hospital. Uh, 
remember trying to make friends with the EMTs. Like, we're talking about hip-hop and all this stuff. This guy knows I'm dying, right? He's just trying to, like, in case this guy dies in this ambulance, at least I wanted to go out kind of chill. And they get me to the first hospital, and then they immediately put me into surgery because they know exactly what's happening. And I remember the, the doctors putting the mask on me and having me count back. I don't understand what was happening at that point. And then I woke up in the ICU. Well, it turned out that the surgery was so intense on my throat that I ended up in cardiac arrest and my heart stopped and they had to resuscitate me. Um, only 11% of people survive cardiac arrest because to restart a heart is nearly impossible and it takes a very, very strategic technique and circumstance to be able to make this happen. So they were able to bring me back, ended up in ICU for them to tell me that my liver is failing. So at that point, I didn't know that I died already and they brought me back. I was just alive again and conscious for them to tell me I'm dying. <laughs> so it was at that point, they're like, you're not gonna make it out of here, man. Like your liver is failing. Like you, you're probably not gonna survive. Um, you need to have someone speak on your behalf. We need you to sign this thing because you don't even know what you're saying. At this point, I'm seeing demons sleeping next to dead bodies. There's bugs all over me. There's things flying around the room. I'm literally in an alternate universe. Um, a majority of the the details that I have, no one else has experienced. And it's only, it's just locked in my memory. It's super amazing. Uh, and then it was from that moment that, I'm sorry, this is, they actually moved me to two other hospitals. I'm trying to shorten it up as much as possible, but there was a moment when I was in the third hospital and they said, Cody, um, a bed just opened in an experimental research facility, one of our sister facilities, opened about an hour ago. We can't guarantee that we can stop you from dying. Do you want to live? And so it was already at that moment that I knew I was going to be dead. And so the question was like, really? Is, is life worth living? And it was at that moment that the 10-year-old, she was holding my hand and she goes, you have to try. And so I was like, yes, I wanna live. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what they were talking about. I had no idea what I was gonna be going through or anything like that. And then my fiance at the time, she had to reiterate. She says, no, Cody, it's, it's, it's not, do you want to live? It's, are you willing to save your own life? I was like, yes, question mark, basically. And the doctor is basically saying, look, if you don't want to live, then there's a bar down the road. You can just go drink yourself to death. You're going to end up there anyway. I was like, no, 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 okay, I want to go. And so they put me into this facility. I was tortured for 250 hours. It was 11 days of begging for death. Um, it was absolutely insane, horrendous. Uh, but then my numbers started improving. And I went into the hospital with a 30.6 bilirubin level, bright yellow. And they let me leave at an 18.6. So about, I was starting to show signs of life. And uh, lost my ability to walk, neuropathy in both my legs, umbilical hernia, inflamed spleen, liver the size of a football, still had ascites, looked like I had a beach ball, throat was swollen, bit could barely eat, uh, still yellow. I was... I lost 60 pounds in 11 days because my body was using all the muscle and all the meat to stay alive. Uh, the body is an absolutely phenomenal thing. It loves us to 
death and it will fight to the bitter end. Um, and from there, that's when I spent months and months and months on the couch, just trying to make it five feet to the restroom. They had me on 19 pills a day. Uh, it was intense. It took 18 months to be able to have a conversation like this. You said 11 days of hell. What it? What was it? It is, they were going to, they put me into this facility to do uh, what is considered uh, a liver dialysis. So they had to go in through my neck and cut port in my chest. And they were going to pull all the blood out of my liver, clean it, put it back in, do all those things. I personally don't know exactly what they did. I only know like the most painful things, such as going through surgery. I was awake for these things, mainly because they can't give me any medications because my liver is failing. It could, it could shut my liver down if there's any additional numbing agents in there. So not only that, but your your blood is on fire. Your skin is itching. It's like millions of ants. It's like walking on lava. This is because there's no alcohol in my body. This is how I was living while under the influence. Remember this, as we continue to turn this coping mechanism into a medicine, we are working through all of these pains. So my heart was doing a thing. My lungs was doing a thing. My liver was doing a thing. My stomach was doing a thing. My insides turned black, right? It, it It's horrendous. So because there's no alcohol in my body, the withdrawals from that are so intense, I would have rather have been dead. Like That's why I like second guess whether or not it was a good idea for them to save my life. Because I'm sitting there going like, no, 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 just kill me, dude. Just, I, I, this is, nope, I don't want this. Because the easy escape is just going, just give me a shot. Just give me a shot. And that's all we want. We want the pain to stop. But the only way for the pain to stop is to move through it. This is why I continue to tell people, we don't grow in the pain, but we do grow with it. So we need to stop punishing ourselves, thinking that the answer is inside the pain. The pain is there to show us how to make a healthy decision so we don't need that pain anymore to grow. If being hard on yourself worked, it would have worked already. But it doesn't. And it's not supposed to. But all of these lessons were are are derivative of the most detrimental, hopeless, desperate place of my entire life. And the trippier part about that is I still felt that desperate in certain situations after becoming a different person. These are all aspects of life. And I just took my version of life to the absolute extreme. And so now I help people realize how amazing they are, what's working for them, what their strengths are, where their energy actually is, what's actually going on, how to capitalize on their circumstances, and more importantly, their core, and realize that they don't need to die or punish themselves to find a reason why life is worth living. If you're not dead, you're allowed to live. Everybody dies, but not everybody lives. But as soon as we understand that life is all about discovering who we actually are underneath the pain, then we learn how to live. And at that point, we'd never sacrifice that for anything. Sign me up. Seriously, Jenna, you have to agree with this. He's so good at what he says. And I mean, I, I believe you really believe what you're doing. And I, I know that you do. Um, I just don't know how you... I mean, maybe over all these years, you just know the right words. You've lived through it. Like, um, you're extremely smart. Uh, 
I well, you have to be to be able to do this. I just I'm super impressed. Jenna, are you? I just, I'm listening to everything that you're saying and a hundred questions are going through my mind and then you keep talking and then like they leave. So I actually just put it on mute to try and write down some stuff. Um, so I'm curious, did you take the full leap from I'm dying, uh, like alcohol is my whole life to uh, I'm living and it's over? Or did you have that like in-between moment where you were thinking? Like for me, when I stopped drinking, I had this period where I was devastated because I thought that my life was over. I thought my relaxation was over. My enjoyment was over. And I had to get over that just by like pushing through it. But I'm wondering like, you know, you went through such traumatic stuff with your body and just physically um, having to go through all of that that nightmare. So did you ever have that period where you were like, oh my gosh, my life, my my happiness is over, like the lies that we tell us. Did you go through that? 100%. Because we have to remember this. Alcohol was still my personality when I wasn't drinking. Every thought that I had, every emotion that I was capable of feeling was derivative of the amount of alcohol that was previously in my body. So without the alcohol, none of my thoughts or emotions or actions make any sense. I was more drunk, not drinking. That's what a high functioning alcoholic is. I don't drink to get drunk. I drink to act sober. So when I was no longer drinking out of the hospital, I literally lacked the neurological network that allowed me to reach dopamine, express serotonin, reach oxytocin levels, I, I lacked the physical capacity to create joy or even feel happiness. And so, yeah, for months I was sitting here going, I would rather be drunk than know or feel like I cannot be happy. I was, it was the same hopeless that I was in the hospital going, I'd rather be dead. There's no way I'm going to live through this is the exact same feeling of being on the couch going, this is it. I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be drunk. There is absolutely no way that this is what people look forward to because it's miserable, dude. No, I, I don't, I don't, what are you talking about? What do you mean everything is a toy if you play with it? Stop telling me that, right? What do you mean you're allowed to be happy for no reason? So what are you trying to say? <laughs> Take everything personally and you're sitting here going like, oh, okay, I'm broken. I'm broken. I messed up. There is no possible way without a substance that I could possibly even just reach the illusion of joy. At least I could pretend when I was drinking, but this is absolutely impossible. And it was in those moments that I realized that my belief system was so heavily ingrained in victimization that I was creating these roadblocks and resistance in my own capabilities, all because I believed I was forever broken and life would never be good again. But this is why when I'm working with people, I'm going, I know you're in pain. That's awesome. Now we know what we don't want. Now we can start struggling forward. We want to put our energy over here. And so in time, you start to realize that first off, recovery is emotional and it is physical. And then we can get into energy and spirituality later. But the reality with it is if you don't give your body and mind time to recover from the trauma that alcohol is, 
Alcohol is not just something that sits in your belly. It's a literal traumatic experience. And it doesn't matter if you're addicted to it or you're drinking it casually. It's a carcinogen that causes seven types of cancer. It's a disinfectant. It's a literal poison. I just spoke an hour ago with a 14-year-old who accidentally mixed her ADHD medication and had a sip of alcohol, ended up in the hospital, blacked out. There's a reason why it's not supposed to be in our body. And so it takes time for our brain to heal. It takes time for our body to heal. It takes rest. It takes sleep. It takes good food. It takes water. And more importantly, it takes thought. And I mean actual affirmations. It means when you want to say the worst thing to you, that's when you say the best thing for you. When you want to say, I hate you for everything you've done, you say, I thank you for everything that you've created for us. I hate you for putting us in this position. Nah, I love you for struggling through what you went through. I hate you for doing this to us. Nah, man, I thank you for being as strong as you were when we were struggling. You switch that and your brain goes, oh, this is how we live. This is, oh, had we been doing this the whole time, we wouldn't have died. <laughs> but we thought in those moments that the best thing for us was to create more pain, punish ourselves, and find reasons why we don't deserve health and happiness. And our brain does what it's designed to do, make every single thing we say true. As a matter of fact, my brain doesn't know that we are having a conversation. It is thinking that I'm speaking directly to it. It is having a conversation with itself. It's saying words and hearing them, interpreting and spitting out this centripetal force of information that's feeding itself. So if your brain is just a sponge, then what are we practicing? <laughs> are we practicing finding reasons why we're weak and saying all those things that reflect how miserable we feel, even though it's not true? Or are we actively practicing thinking new thoughts so we can feel new feelings and in the end, Take new action. So the long-winded answer is, yeah, dude, holy crap. I'm just curious if you enjoy the non-alcoholic beers or mocktails, because I read your little uh, the thing that you can download that said become obsessed with water. And I was like, oh, he's so right. Like, I just need to drink water. But do you let yourself enjoy those like less than 5.5% beers or do you find that because I struggle with it I've been enjoying them but I, but I also am like am I am I is this still kind of poison so I'm curious about your perspective on that sort of stuff got you yeah I talk to people a lot excuse me about that and the reason why is because some people I'll tell you this I'll say this I love blue moon and an orange so good if you can guarantee me a double zero get scientific and i mean i need to see the science that there is zero alcohol in this blue moon i would drink it all day not true because i'd get super full but i would definitely have one because that is an interesting taste i love the taste of blue moon i love the taste of shock top i love the frost i love the taste of corona in time, you develop a taste. Like, it, I just put a video out about this because, like, it's it's got to taste a certain way. Otherwise, we'd know we're drinking gasoline. But there's certain beers that I've had that I'd be like, dude, this, if, there were, if you can guarantee me zero, I would drink it. I would happily pick it up. But the unfortunate part about that is there's no such thing as double zero. As a matter of fact, I'm drinking alcoholic juice, right? Non-alcoholic juice. 
and I say this, everything is non-alcoholic if there's no alcohol in it. Goodness gracious. Almost everything is non-alcoholic, and we put alcohol in it. Alcohol is the, is the addition. <laughs> it's crazy when we think about it. So if you're in early sobriety, then I would never tell you, hey, you know what, dude? Just, just pretend that you're drinking alcohol. Just tease yourself, right? Let's just see how strong your willpower is. That's not what we want to do because your brain, you got to keep in mind, willpower is a muscle. It will give out. So if you're testing your willpower with the illusion of a beer, your brain's just going to go, dude, why don't we just drink beer? Because the reality is, is we don't want the beer. We want what it provides. And going back to the beginning, it provides the illusion of peace, of relaxation. We don't care what it tastes like. We want what it provides. Most people don't like alcohol. <laughs> they like what it provides. And, uh, and then moving further, if you're in it, beyond sober or recovered let's say you've broken your physical addiction your emotional love story with the alcohol and you can casually go out to a bar and hang out drink water do your stuff and you want to do a double zero beer or a mocktail do go for it you are not at risk at tempting yourself and the 0.05 percent isn't going to be detrimental enough on your health to where you actually have to worry about it Say this, though. You drink 50 of those things, guess what happens? You get toast. <laughs> that's that's the thing. If there's, a, if there's a chance of you being triggered back into uh, overdoing it, then it's a no. But if you could just get some carbonated water, throw some juice in it, froth it up for a second, and drink your cocktail at home that has no alcohol in it, go for it. No problem. I learned that early on. I worked with a guy who had a drinking issue, and... Um, and he was in the AA and he wouldn't drink anything. He would even have like the Irish cream that you would put in your coffee. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and then because I didn't, I didn't identify that way. I was like, what? Like I didn't understand it. And as I became a complete non-drinker whatsoever, I totally get what he was saying now. Um, and understanding that. And there was a time when, um, Jenna and I, we wanted to open our own like sober bar, you know, and I was thinking, juices and things of that sort making it fun like making it um you know fancy little drinks um and then the, then there was the talk of like okay do we find non-alcoholic stuff and put it in cases and bring that stuff in and and I was kind of torn because I wasn't sure so you kind of answered some of that it's not necessarily what it tastes like it's the effect of it so that that um, makes so much sense um but I am like you on a hot summer day, a, a nice blue moon or a Hefeweizen salad is really good. Um, but I don't miss it enough to do it. Like I just, right. not even worth it. Like, I'm excited about that thought. I'm not sitting here going like, oh yeah, toasted, faded on a summer day. I'm going, that froth, dude. Oh man, the glass. The whole... But the sight of this is frothy and, and it's wet. It's the same. I could replicate that. I understand the experience. It's never the alcohol. Nobody likes alcohol. They like the feeling. This is where once we start focusing forward and providing the experience as close to what alcohol provides on a day-to-day, -day, creating peace, when you are in a state of peace and operating from that center, when you're a happy person, not just being happy, but energetically you're in that state of happiness and that is your primary state of being. You look at alcohol and go, that isn't going to add anything more to my already 100% lifestyle. 
this is where a lot of people go, and this is why I say, happy, healthy people get happy, healthy results when they drink. You're never going to see a truly happy, healthy person table dancing and getting DUIs and going crazy and like knocking buildings down. They are not that kind of person on their day to day. But this is where when you have people who are poor mental health, a little bit angry, depression, anxiety, all these things, you're going to get a completely different response because alcohol is an amplification unit. Yes, it is a depressant, but it is going to amplify your core state of being. That's why we have angry drunks and happy drunks and like functioning and non-functioning and all those things. So my mission is to help people evolve into their most peaceful state of being. That doesn't mean becoming a hippie. It just means allowing things to be what they are instead of punishing ourselves for what they're not and being able to operate from a place of excitement and joy the ability to create joy in every moment and know that you always have and always will and currently do have everything you need to live a life that you truly, truly love. From that space, you go, ah, you're right, it's not the alcohol. <laughs> not even interested. Yeah. And I, I and you, we've, we've gone this far. We're not going to ruin it now with having Great. something that is just like a temporary solution to... Here's the truth, though. Here's the interesting thing. And as you say that, there's so many people that I speak to every single day. I've probably responded to 100 messages today. There's people that are so, so passionate about sobriety and relapse. The difference between a lapse and a relapse. Most people don't know the difference at all. They think a lapse is a relapse. Not true. Not the same. Can't be the same. Scientifically, not the same. So as you mentioned, like, why would you just like throw it all away? Here's the thing. You're not throwing your whole life away because you choose to drink an out a beer two years later. You're not not sober. You didn't lose sobriety. You didn't sacrifice your whole. What are you talking about? You chose to drink like and there's people that drink every single day and then they find one day of the two years where they don't. And you're upset at you for choosing alcohol, a relaxant after two years. Who's beating you up at home? It's not us. Because we're sitting here going, you've been rocking it for years. And you just, dude, that's amazing. You in a conscious state decided that you were in a healthy enough position to go, you know what, let me just drink. Coke, dude, that's, that, that's beyond healthy behavior. Now, those that have been indoctrinated and misinformed go, I relapsed after two years. I can't believe it. I lost my sobriety. I, I had two years. I was going to be more sober in two years in one day. But one day, what are you talking about? How did you get here? And why do we all believe this? Here's what's up. A relapse is not the same as a lapse. A relapse usually happens early. And it goes, I am addicted to this thing. I literally needed to live. I have a high state of dependency on this. The thought of not having it gives me anxiety. And I'm actively taking a break. I'm in a state of sobriety. I'm trying to break up with my ex right now, okay? I'm still in this relationship. I know it's toxic. I'm trying to figure my life out. Got it. You're getting better. You're getting better. Getting better. Cool. Doing well. Medically, you're improving. Your health is getting better. Sleep's getting better. Anxiety is going low. Your depression's at an all-time low. And then something triggering happens or you have a, a bout of whatever. Then you decide to drink. At that point, it only becomes a relapse if... You are medically getting worse now. It's twice as bad. 
and it's even harder to stop than it was the first time. That is a relapse. That means we were doing so well and the cancer came back. Oh, relapse. That means we are actively getting worse. This this is how we start losing our, our progress. That doesn't mean all is lost, but that's a serious circumstance that needs real specific support in handling. That's not what 99.9% .9 of people experience. They just go, I had a beer. It's all over. Okay, let's talk about this. And then once we shift these understandings, then they go, you're right. I did just choose to drink. I did succeed for two years. My life isn't worse. I didn't get a DUI. I'm not having heart palpitations. It's just a little bit of anxiety. I'll be back to sober in four days. The interesting part about being sober in four days since your last drink is it is the exact same amount of sober you were before you had that drink. You're just going back to sober. Like, that is absolutely it. So my purpose when I'm working with people is not to get them to quit drinking. It's to get them to develop a healthier relationship with alcohol. And if the relationship with alcohol that you call healthy is no relationship at all, we'll get you there. But if a healthy relationship is having one beer a night, we'll get you there too. I like that. I wanted to ask you about your stage four cirrhosis. Yeah. That never changes. It's it's permanent damage. So, so what does that look like for you going forward? Are you have to avoid certain foods? What like what does that mean? How do you stay healthy and not have it get worse to the point where it's you know back? Cirrhosis <laughs> yeah. is caused by either underlying uh, medical conditions like a disease uh, or alcohol. Like you, people don't just wake up with cirrhosis because they had a bad day. Like it is long, long. Most people that drink a lot of alcohol have some level of cirrhosis. One, two, three, four, end stage. I work with people who have end stage, which means like if they don't get a liver like now, they it's it's done so, right? So I have stage four cirrhosis, which means it's one stage before end stage. If I didn't start showing signs, if I didn't start getting healthier while I was in the hospital and didn't keep my diet up and rest and all that, then my liver would have continued failing. It would have continued getting continued being scarred. So the hardening of my liver, that's permanent. That's just like, it's just hard, right? But it's also the same as a scar. So scars get hard and they get dense and all that stuff. So it is permanent damage. You can't cut the scar off. You can't grow it. You can't do anything. It's just damage. Now, your liver is the filter of your body. It is one of the most important organs that you have. You can't live without right? So the trip with it is that because it's so important, your body will heal it as long as you quit damaging it. <laughs> so the way we continue damaging it is by continuing to drink. Most people, I'll say this, 43% of people that go through what I went through, just the liver failure and all that stuff, will go back to drinking and they won't live past one year. That means roughly half the people that survive will kill themselves with the thing they needed to survive with. My little sister, her liver felt too. And then she went right back to drinking and ended up in UCLA hospital. Now she's in and out of rehab. She's doing better, but she's one of those 43% that is at risk and not, of not making it past one year. The difference between myself and a lot of other people and why people flip out and go like, dude, you need to keep showing up is because I've been committed to designing a life I love to live with the body I enjoy being in, with the mind I enjoy thinking with since the day I died. 
it's it's my priority. So when I go to the doctors, like a few months ago, they run blood tests and they look at my body. They go like, we would honestly never tell that you have survived what you've survived. Like there is no implications that you are less healthy than any other person that we see. As a matter of fact, we see more sick people than you. And this is because I make my food at home, right? I, I eat as clean as possible. I'm not crazy about it. I still eat Chipotle from time to time, right? So I'm cooking all of my meals. I love water so much, in fact, that I need to drink less of it because it's keeping me awake at night. Um, I meditate every single day. So I'm constantly cueing my body up for success, operating from a state of gratitude, appreciation, respect, kindness, abundance, love. And I operate from that energetic state and that helps my body heal. Um, I rest when I'm tired, so I take naps whenever, right? But I also set a bedtime. Sleep is where the healing happens. So I make sure that I get as much quality sleep as humanly possible. Um, and then I'm doing the things that I love. I'm physically active. I'm in the gym, I don't know, four or five days a week. Spend 45 minutes to two hours, depending on what I'm doing. So I am what is considered optimal lifestyle. So if you were to point to someone and go like, hey, what does healthy look like? What does a healthy lifestyle look like? He is the guy. That's that's what it is. And it's and I say this to go, I don't do this because I don't want to be health unhealthy. I do this because I want to be healthy. When we switch that narrative and go, it's not that I don't want to be healthy. I really, really want and enjoy being healthy. That shift creates the narrative of everything you do, which goes back to the word you used earlier, intent. Every single thing I do has a level of intent to it, and that's the fuel to my continued success. I'm going to start doing that every day. I'm going to at least set some intent every day. I mean, get to the point. Well, I mean, I mean maybe it will grow and grow and grow where I'm, I'm doing that all day long, but... Um, a lot of times, um, I think a lot of us are just going through the day. Like right. sometimes I'm like, somebody will um, ask me to like make plans for the future. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get through today. Like, I don't, I don't know how this day is going to end. And so, um, and I, and I joke about that, but I'm actually serious. Like, I don't, I don't plan. I don't, I just, I'm more spontaneous, but I don't live with a lot of intent. Like I know I have to work today, so I'm going to be going to do that. But like, I know that I personally haven't been taking care of myself. So a lot of the things that you're saying are things that um, I could use in my my everyday life just because of things that I've been struggling with personally. Um, I do have this weird fascination with like the spirit world and some of those things. So I just want to ask you really quick, and it really doesn't have much to do, but maybe it does um, with this conversation, but when you were in the hospital and you saw these things around you, hallucinations, or were you seeing something? Uh, good question. So in along the lines of that, I'm also a spiritual mentor. I actually have a whole spirituality program. So there's not, uh, there's no question. I'm going to go all over your website then. Cause I'm like, it's, that's it's, my world right there. But yes, I do want to hear, tell me more. So I remember dying. Like, I know what it's like to be dead. I know what it's like to not be human. I know what it's like to be on what we would call the other side. It's because of that experience that I jumped into spirituality. I was always interested at, the, at, at my core of seeking more and understanding more. The word that has always stuck with me was unity. And I 
for whatever reason. And the reality is the more spiritual my practice has become, the, the more inward I go, the more I understand that we are God, we are one, we are source. We are all one. We are one beautiful consciousness split billions of times. Every single molecular combination is what we see as this 3D perspective of our world. We are the center of our universe, not the universe. And when I transferred, I under when I transitioned, I understood I was gifted the experience of absolute bliss and peace. When you transition, you don't carry the anxiety. You don't carry those memories. You don't carry your body. You don't carry those thoughts. You don't have those emotions. Everything that we use to define the human experience completely dissipates. Okay. The trippiest part about that specific space, the space after death, is it is there are absolutely no words to describe how infinite you feel and how one you feel and how peaceful things are. One of my last thoughts I remember before transitioning is I'm not worried about them. And I, I meant that because if this is what they can expect, then I'm not worried about them because they're all going to understand soon or at some time. They're all going to be here. We're all going to feel this. We're all going to experience this. And the only thing that I took to the other side was my experience was not the bad experience, but it was the the moments of, of my greatest learning. It were the defining moments of the peak of my human existence was the density of my awareness when I was no longer human. That's what peace is. Peace is the infinite acceptance of all acceptance of all things as they are. There is no opinions, there's no thoughts, there's no perspectives, there is no entanglements. It it, it just is. And you realize that you just are. And this is actually why I have a shirt that just says, I am. Whatever you say after that is unique to you, but you are. And it's in that space of not emptiness, but everythingness that you understand purpose. And you realize that you are your purpose. Your purpose isn't outside of you. It's not in a podcast. It's not in a conversation. It's not doing the dishes. It's not in your job. It's not in your family. It is you because the universe itself is purpose and you are the universe. And getting to know you is literally becoming one with all things that are. It's recognizing everything that you're capable of and, and getting as close to truth, absolute truth, not the illusion of truth, not the perspective of truth, but absolute truth. That is what personal growth is. That's what evolution is. And so... I say all of that to bring density to the human experience when I was dying. My brain was trying to keep me alive. And in order to do that, it had to put me into a dreamlike state and literally pump adrenaline through my body and create an experience that was that scary because I need to stay alive. These, you start to recognize the intricacies of these things and the balance. So what you also understand is I was creating these forces for me to learn and grow with. I noticed them. I felt them. They are real. They are true. You can't see them. You can't feel them. They're not for you. They're for me. My brain doesn't know that that didn't happen to everybody. 
in the same way that my brain doesn't know that it's not talking to itself. So when we are thinking thoughts and we were taking actions and we're looking in the mirror, we're doing these things, our brain is reacting to our imagination in the exact same way that it's reacting to reality. This puts you in a state of control and lets you take control of your own reality and create the most expansive life experience you can possibly imagine. Jenna, are you tripping out right now? Are you, are, wait, are you really saying that you remember the other side? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that this was happening today. <laughs> There's a book called Journey of Souls. Normally I have it right here, but I've met at least 25 people with the exact same experience as me. It's next level, dude. I'm not afraid. I, I say this all the time. I don't, if there's a tornado, if I die in my sleep, I I died happy, dude. <laughs> I died like you. Don't worry. Like you guys ever hear something? It's like he died at the peak of his existence. But that's the other density of this is when you realize that you are the reason this moment exists, and without you, there would be no moment to be had. Then you start to go. It is. I'm the one that's designing everything right now. Everything is a reflection of me. And if I want to be hanging out with two other people and I want them to be reflections of me, then I need to know who I actually am and create this experience that is as true as it could possibly be, as authentic as it could possibly be. Because we all matter equally and our experiences are so important. If you had any idea how important you were, you would never, ever punish yourself. Today is such a wonderful day because we met you. So I'm yes. so grateful. Thank you so much, Cody, for your time today. Um, I don't want to take any more of it, but I mean, I really could talk to you like all day long. All right, ladies. Thank all you right. so much for being thank exactly you. who you are. I really sincerely appreciate you. And uh, I honestly can't thank you enough for the conversation and the space and the energy. It means the world to me. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Soberly Ever After. We hope the podcast gives you support and a place of no judgment to listen to our stories and to share yours with us. Until next time, a sober life is a better life.